Good evening and Merry Christmas. My name is Tony. I'm going to be reading the psalm that Pastor Ben's going to be preaching from this evening. It's uh, Psalm 46. It's on page 441 in the Pew Bibles, and I believe it'll be on the screen as well if you can follow along. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. My name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and it's my joy to, to open God's word with us for just a few minutes here. And uh, with the lights dark out there and bright up here, I literally can't see a single face of yours. So um, I guess that could either be good or bad, depending on how you react to this <laughs> sermon. But as we just sang a lot of songs, and as we talked about uh, that great line from Elf at the beginning of our service, music has a tremendous power over our hearts. Uh, music can cause our hearts to swell with joy or with confidence or even with pride, right? Think of a, a college fight song or a national anthem of a country. It can even make us contemplative or sad or even angry. And we see this power of music on full display at Christmas time. Now, broadly speaking, we as a people love Christmas music. I know there are some of you Scrooges out there who don't, but broadly, we all love Christmas music. The songs of Christmas cause our hearts to swell with happiness and nostalgia. Uh, I've been singing and listening to the Ray Charles classic, That Spirit of Christmas, about five times every day, all Christmas season. Uh, it's great. Ask my wife. Ask some of my friends who I sang that at a Christmas party on Friday night with them last Friday. Um, I loved it. But the darker side of Christmas music and the Christmas season in general, the, the, the part that we don't often talk about is that many of us use this season and its music as a way to escape the hard realities of life. Now, for some of us, Christmas music provides us with an alternative reality that we can escape to, where reindeer fly, where every Christmas has snow on the ground and is pristinely beautiful, and where all of our children come home every year for a joyous and harmonious celebration. But we all know 
that Christmas is often the time of year when we are faced with the hardest things in life most acutely. Family dysfunction and brokenness. Reminders of a loved one's death. Loneliness. And while I certainly don't want to be a Scrooge here on Christmas Eve Eve, I think it goes without saying, though, that this practice of Christmas escapism can't sustain us through really tough times. We all need a song that we can sing, not only during this season, but all throughout the year, that can truly bolster our hearts with joy and confidence, no matter what may come. As Pastor Benjamin said at the beginning of the service, we've been preaching through Psalm 46 for our Advent series at Community Church this Advent season. And the Psalms were the ancient songbook of God's people, Israel. And so tonight, what I briefly want to show you is not only that Psalm 46 is a song that can truly lift your heart up in joy, no matter the circumstances, but that it is a song that is actually most appropriate for Christmas. So if you would, would you bow your heads? Let's ask the Lord to teach us his word in this brief time that we have together. Jesus, we thank you that as we spoke of at the beginning of our service, that you are the living Jesus. That you're the one who took to yourself human flesh and now you sit as a human being on the throne of the universe, reigning. And I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit as we open your word and that you would help us to see and remember your works and to know that you alone are God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who are not a part of our church and haven't been with us for this series through Psalm 46, the primary message of Psalm 46 can really be summarized in the first two verses there. Let me read them again for us so that it's fresh in our minds. It says there, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Psalm 46 tells us that although the earth around us, the very earth upon which we stand, if that earth would cave in on itself, we have a refuge that will not falter, will not fail in God. And since this is true, the people who hide themselves in God as their fortress can resolve together, can look one another in the eye and say, therefore, we will not fear. Now, not to jump over Christmas, but at this time next week, New Year's festivities will be taking place. And along with these festivities, I'd imagine that many of you will be preparing to or thinking about New Year's resolutions that you will be making. I know my mother-in-law will be asking me for mine about a week from now. And we all know that when we resolve to do anything, whether that be to exercise more, to eat less sugar, to read more books, whatever it might be for you, that, that we need a clear path forward to keep that resolution or else we will not keep what we resolve to do. You might resolve to eat less sugar uh, next Saturday night, but practically, how will you keep your resolve up when on January 3rd after dinner you spy that box of sweets that your relative got for you in your Christmas stocking and they look so good. They're Reese's peanut butter cups, maybe, hypothetically. 
But, but to, to put it in terms of this passage, how can we continue the resolve of Psalm 46 not to fear whenever things actually do in our lives get chaotic and fearful? How do we maintain that resolve? Well, verses 8 through 10 of Psalm 46, which we're going to be spending these few moments together looking at, give us a clear command on how to do that. They, they give us a tangible action step for how we can continue to resolve not to fear. It tells us there in verses 8 and 9 to come and behold the works of God. It, it says it right there at the beginning of verse 8. If you have a Bible and would like to look at that with us, we'd love for you to follow along here. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 46, it says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now these verses encourage God's people to remember the ways that he has worked for them in the past and that will build up their confidence in who he is. So they're called to remember how God led them safely through the Red Sea out of slavery in Egypt. They're called to remember how God gave them the promised land, this land of blessing. They're called to remember how God defeated the armies of the empires of Assyria and Babylon when they threatened the people. And these works of God that are spoken of here that have taken place in the past are merely the preview to the feature film event of God's final and ultimate work when he will defeat the enemies of his people forever. And so as they look back on his work in the past and anticipate his work in the future, the people are to be bolstered up in confidence in God. But you might be here tonight and you might hear this talk of God defeating armies and of the desolations that he brings and think, not only is this not what I expect to hear in a Christmas Eve sermon, maybe, uh, but, but this is not the kind of God that I want to follow. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, or, or you have been a Christian at some point in your life, but you've walked away, and you say, these are the kind of passages precisely why I'm not a Christian. I don't want a God who sides with the good guys and who violently opposes everybody else. But if that's what you're thinking, I would just encourage you for a moment to think with me about what the actual history of God's people is, what these works of God in the past for his people actually entailed. The people of Israel were not a powerful empire. God came to their rescue when they were slaves in Egypt, and he freed them from slavery and oppression, and he called them to be his own people. And he then proceeded to protect this small, ragtag group of people from foreign invasion by the world's superpowers of the day. And when his people became oppressive, like the nations surrounding them, God said, okay, enough is enough. And he handed them over in punishment to those very nations. In other words, God here in these verses is not hurling down judgment and desolations on the little people for the sake of the people at the top. 
God is the God who comes to little people and who protects the weak and vulnerable against the violence and injustice of this world because he is good and gracious. That's the God pictured here in Psalm 46, verses 8 and 9. And notice in verse 9 what these desolations actually are. God is causing wars to cease. Do you notice that there? He intervenes in human history in order to bring about peace. He destroys the weapons of the world's warfare, a promise that's beautifully echoed in the prophet Isaiah where it says in chapter two there that that when God comes in judgment one day, he is going to beat the weapons of this world into gardening instruments. God is pictured here as going to war with war itself. And this is particularly encouraging for the Christian who's living in a country where the church is persecuted or for the family in war-torn Ukraine or the Middle East. The God of the Bible is bending the arc of the universe towards justice and peace and he will oppose only those who get in the way of that mission. Now, the the Christian hymn, uh, if you're familiar with the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, which was written by Martin Luther, who is the, the head of the, the Protestant Reformation. That song is based on Psalm 46. And, and listen to how Luther, in one of those uh, verses of that song, interprets the verses that we're looking at here in Psalm 46, 8 and 9. This is what Luther sings in one of the verses of, of A Mighty Fortress. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear. You hear that refrain from Psalm 46. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Now, these verses, if you listen to Luther's interpretation of them anyway, these verses in Psalm 46 refer not only to physical warfare, but also to the great spiritual enemies, the enemies of Satan, sin, and death that rage against God and his people. This psalm tells us that the world is filled with spiritual enemies that threaten to undo God's people. And these enemies are actually the enemies that stand behind all of the physical enemies. They stand behind all of the violence and injustice and war that we experience in our world. In what ways do these great enemies wage war against you? In what ways do they cause you to retreat in fear? Now, maybe the enemy, uh, Satan, is using residual guilt in your life over sin that you've committed in your past to keep you absolutely paralyzed. Or maybe he's keeping you bound up in shame because of sins that have been perpetrated against you. Maybe he he continues to press on you hate and bitterness towards somebody, and it's a daily struggle, and maybe you're thinking about it tonight, about the person you're going to see at your dinner table in a few days, about how you can extend, not only extend forgiveness, but just tolerate that person for a few hours. Maybe the enemy of death has reared its head in your life with a recent diagnosis, and you're crippled with fear. These verses tell us that those realities are not benign in this earth. They are enemies of God 
his people, his creation, and his purposes. And these verses in this psalm call us to remember the work of God in the past, to stir up our confidence in his power, to defeat any enemy that might come against us. But you may be wondering at this point, though, if you were paying attention closely to the whole reading of the psalm that Tony did for us, aren't there two commands in, this, in these verses? You only mentioned one, and that would be very perceptive of you. <laughs> there is another command in verse 10. If you look there at chapter 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And that's probably the most famous phrase in this whole psalm. And even if you're here tonight and you're new to Christianity or you're not a Christian, uh, they might be familiar to you. You may have seen those verses on a poster at Hobby Lobby with a, a, a serene crystal mountain stream that says, be still and know that I am God. Or maybe you've seen them, somebody posts them on Facebook or Instagram and it's somebody's hands clutched around a steaming cup of coffee. They're sitting cozy under a blanket with a fire roaring in the hearth, and it says, be still and know that I am God. We even, we even want to whisper it, right? We want to be still and know that I am God. But in this psalm, those words, it, those words are a command. Those words are more like a firm shout, be still and know that I am God. That's what these verses are communicating. And frankly, be still is kind of a weak translation of what the actual Hebrew word is here. The real word is more like stop it, knock it off. And actually, most Bible commentators pick up on the fact that this command likely isn't even a, a command to God's people at all. Rather, it's God looking out to the warring, raging nations that come against his people, that perpetrate violence and injustice in the earth. And he says to them, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. That's what Psalm 46 verse 10 is saying. The phrase is a stern challenge and rebuke. But along with that, it's also an invitation when a parent tells their child, sweetie, stop doing that right now and come here, that's a rebuke, right? There, there's sternness in that voice. But if that child listens to the rebuke and comes, you'll, they'll hear in that also an invitation, and they'll be met with an embrace. And this Christmas, the good tiding of great joy for us is that that is precisely what the Lord of hosts does for us. The Lord of hosts spoken of in Psalm 46, the God who has power over all the armies of heaven, power over everything we might fear, became a human baby. To put it in as stark a words as I know how, as that song we sang before actually did, as the armies of angels sang above Bethlehem on that night 2,000 years ago, the commander of those armies was laying in a manger in his diaper. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. And he entered into a world warring and striving against him in order to bring salvation to his very enemies. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, 
Now, Jesus did come to wage war, but he came to wage war against the true enemies of God's people, Satan's sin and death. And his weapon of warfare was self-sacrificial love. You see, in his life, Jesus went to battle with our great enemies and ultimately defeated them, not by force, but by his self-sacrificial death on the cross. And he sealed that defeat of our enemies by rising from the grave and ascending to his throne in heaven where now he sits as king and he offers his terms of peace to any who would come to him. And from there, he will return one day to bring desolation to all who war against him and his good creation. This Christmas, Jesus, be reminded Jesus will be exalted above the heavens. Jesus will be exalted in the earth and all will say like we sung a moment ago and hark the herald angels sing, hail the heaven-born prince of peace. So two concluding thoughts for you to take home this Christmas as you go from here tonight. First, be still and know. Stop striving and recognize that Jesus is God. If your whole life has been characterized by running from God, by striving against him, it's been marked by a restlessness in your heart, God wants you to come home. Hear in his rebuke and invitation, particularly as it's spoken from Christ. You see, we all were once enemies of God, but on the cross, Jesus paid the price of the sin of the world so that anyone can come to him and receive pardon and peace. I urge you to stop striving and recognize that Jesus is God, the God who came down into our existence in love to offer his enemies peace at the cost of his own life. And if you do hide yourself in Jesus, your fears won't be taken away but you will find a place and you will find a song to sing, to defiantly sing joyfully and confident amidst all of the fearful realities of this life. And the second thing that I'll leave you with as we close here, to all of you here tonight, come and behold this Christmas, the greatest work that God has ever done on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself this Christmas that Jesus has turned you, if you trust in him, from his enemy into his friend. Remind yourself that Jesus has removed the power of every enemy that stands against you. Remind yourself that he promises to come again one day and eradicate every enemy that stands against us. That one day he will say to evil, enough is enough. And remind yourself this Christmas that because Jesus has sacrificed so much in coming down to earth and giving his life for you, that no matter what storm you may be in, no matter how surrounded you may feel, no matter what may come against you, it cannot mean that God does not love you. And so you can resolve, and we can resolve together, we will not fear when we come and behold the enemy-destroying, peacemaking work of God in Jesus Christ, our fear can give way to songs of joy and confidence. 
And I pray that as we conclude this service, that's exactly what would happen. Let me pray. I'll invite the band to come back up and I'll give us some instructions on how we're gonna conclude our service. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And we thank you this Christmas for a truth that maybe isn't as warm and cuddly as, as we often like to think at Christmas time, but one that we need, Lord, amidst the hard realities of life, that you are a God who comes to deal with evil. And we thank you that in dealing with evil, you have not destroyed us, but that you have offered us peace in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and for his person and work. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray these things, Lord God. Amen.